0: Hi everyone, welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm Justin. I'm James. I'm
1: Corinne.
2: And I'm
0: Cleo. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing The Prestige, uh, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. So, It's based on a book.
2: It is. I always
0: forget that it's based on a book. Because I'm like, Christopher Nolan, you're a god. And I just forget everything else, really.
3: um the really weird thing about it being
0: based on a book is i think like what you're saying it feels very
3: much like a christopher nolan
0: kind of thing yeah i mean i feel like he read this book and thought that and grabbed his brother and was like we need to write the screenplay for this and that's what happened
3: my understanding is that the uh, there was someone else set up to direct and the author was like no i want christopher
0: nolan (laughs) wow smart yeah smart guy uh yeah it's uh it's about magicians and stuff
1: pettiness
0: <laughs> like <laughs> serious <Petty magicians. laughs>
1: it's about petty magicians and that's that's it that's the movie all right we're done it makes it sound Thanks, like everyone. they perform at like
2: birthdays and they like try to steal each other's tips <laughs> yeah exactly
1: no no, no. yeah this is nice. back when
2: magicianing was real <laughs> not magic we're not magicianing we're not
0: talking about petty illusionists so
2: this is like what like late 19th century yeah like pretty late
0: yeah yeah i yeah. believe so yes Late 19th century, maybe early, early 20th century. I think it's pretty late 18- yeah, or 19th. My, my guess is, uh, yeah, like 1880s. Yeah. 1890s. Well,
3: judging by the, the quality of the soot and grime found on the London streets, I would date it to <laughs> roughly between 1887 and 1895. But it's hard to say more for
2: certain. Ah, right.
0: I'm sure I could guess better if I remembered at all anything to do with history and edison and tesla but yeah alas
2: oh my god what if we got the date completely wrong everyone's like you idiots tesla was, was a very i'm like starting
1: to think tesla was...
0: was long dead by the 1880s. no no it was
1: if i recall correctly it was the cusp of the turn of the century i mean that, that was a really weird way to phrase that it was the turn of the century <laughs> there you
3: go i feel like when you're talking about the turn of the century it cusp is the appropriate word
1: but both of them together at the same time? Yeah, no, I don't know. That no. felt that felt questionable. I need to look back. I need to go back in time, slap myself in the face, and tell myself <laughs> not to be an asshole.
3: But yeah, so movie about two kind of rival magicians. And I guess this is a little bit aside, but wasn't there another movie that came out like the same year? The Illusionist. That all, yeah.
0: With Ed Norton. Yeah. And um, Paul Giamatti. Oh, Yeah.
3: Whatever and, happened to that one?
0: Uh, it was watched and enjoyed. Was it any? I mean, was it any good? It was actually pretty good. Yeah, um, I saw them both uh, around the the time they came out. And Prestige is like a like a thought provoking, like existential philosophical movie that leaves you with questions. The Illusionist is a really enjoyable, like kind of um involved and you know twisty mystery kind of plot. Hmm. They have that similar air to them in that sense, where there's like a lot going on and, and the things that the viewer is just not aware of, but it's, I mean, it's nowhere near as sort of... nolan Yeah. There isn't like that extra added layer of, of depth and meaning. It's just a a well-written mystery story, basically. Makes sense. The first
2: we... thing I feel like I want to say is that this is a very well-cast movie.
0: Seriously. Yeah.
2: I can't imagine anybody else playing these characters. It's like it's a lot of people too, a lot of like very well known people. I mean like Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale, Michael kane Piper parabo right? Perabo. Right? Yes. Um Scarlett Johansson, uh Andy circus David fucking Bowie, yeah. which is the reason like I I put off seeing the Prestige for a while just cuz I saw the Illusionist so I think I was like, okay, only room for one magician movie in my life. I feel like
1: everybody had that sort of same mentality.
2: But it's everyone saw the prestige instead, I feel like. I was like the That's one person true. who saw the illusionist. Uh, it prestige was...
1: is Hugh Jackman. Like I don't understand why there was like if you were going to pick one, Hugh Jackman. I
2: really liked Ed Norton at the time. I mean I still do. That made it sound like I don't anymore, but like I was going through a thing <laughs> in high school. I had a thing. I liked Ed Norton. <laughs>
1: But, um, I feel like you would just keep making this worse.
2: <laughs>
3: Parents, talk to your kids about Ed Norton before someone <laughs> else does.
2: <laughs> but, um. Uh, uh, it's but 8 yeah. p.m.
3: on a Friday, and a new Edward Norton movie just came out. Do you know where your kids are?
0: We well, got yeah, sent them to the Edward Norton movie. Who are you? Why are you in my house?
2: And scene. But people kept, um. <clears throat> recommending the prestige basically because of david bowie because they're like david bowie's in this you gotta see it and that was the original reason why i did mainly because of him and he's played his character is fairly minor i mean like small compared to the other i mean he's a big deal in the movie but compared to the other characters he doesn't make as much of an appearance small yet.
1: role big character yeah yeah
2: okay low screen time yeah but he is very very excellent nikola tesla
0: and I mean, yeah, Tesla is never anything but a big, important character.
2: And then played by fucking David Bowie, it's like, come on.
3: I don't know. I played The Order 1886. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. I'm not saying I make good choices, but... <laughs> 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 Too many Edward Norton movies.
1: All right, so um I guess I'm going to say that I really like this movie. But when I first saw it... uh When it initially came out, I I finished watching it and I was like, I don't ever want to, I liked it, but I don't ever want to watch that movie again. Mm. And then I was, Justin and I would just watch it last night and I was saying to him the same thing. And then I was like, I wonder now that I'm older, like if I'll have more of an appreciation for it and how like thoughtful it is and things like that. We finished watching it and I was like, well, I don't think I want to see that again for another decade. Mm. It's like the kind of thing that like. I really enjoy the movie. It's worth seeing. It's not a popcorn flick where you're going to want to watch it over and over again.
2: I'm going to disagree with that because I did that exact thing a few months ago. I watched it, like, every day for a few days in a row because I was... I don't know why. Well, no, because I watched it again for the first time in a long time. And then I was like, you know who'd really like this movie? My mom. So I was like, Mom, we're gonna watch this. And we did. And then somebody else, I was like, you know who'd really like this movie? This other person. I was like, we're gonna watch this. And that just happened for a while. And I was watching it every day, and I enjoyed it every single time.
0: I'm I'm definitely on, on Cleo's side with this. I think it's it's like eminently rewatchable. It's Wow, okay. It's just at least watching it two times in close succession and being able to watch it again with full awareness awareness of of everything um instead of like when you wa- when you watch a movie that at the end has to have a montage of things that happened before that like happened off screen to explain events that were previously unexplained. Any movie that ends like that, I want to be able to rewatch it while knowing about those scenes in my own head and being able to piece the events together in that way.
1: This is going to sound smug, but I remembered all of the twists. Like I remembered all of the big reveals so I could pick up on all those moments.
0: I mean, I remembered them slowly as things went on. Like after like Fallon's like third appearance, I remembered, I remember like the second time he showed up, I remembered he was important. And by like the next time I remembered who he was, but yeah, I don't know.
3: I would say I'm even, like, right in the middle. My instinct was I saw this and I'm like, oh, I'd like to see it again soon and then not watch it again for ten years and then watch it, like, a couple times back to back then.
2: This is definitely... Because
3: I don't have to pick a side.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is definitely a movie that I wish I could, like, erase my memory of it so I could have the experience of, like, experiencing all these twists for the first time over again. I mean, it's enjoyable knowing the twists, I would say, but that first time when you don't know what's happening, it's... Extra special,
3: yeah, it's pretty cool.
1: It was. I remember it being pretty hard to follow when I was when I was younger and seeing it for the first time. Like, uh, it, there was definitely a point at the end where it's just like, "What is happening right now?"
3: I could see that. It's well, it's got a super weird chronology. Yeah, where yeah. it's
0: there's so much jumping back and forth.
3: Yeah, and sideways sometimes. Like yep. it's it's what like three or four different parallel it, different parts of this one continuous narrative being told. In parallel?
0: Yeah, you have you have the two of them. Well, no. So, well,
3: so you've got Borden in prison. Right. Reading Angier's diary. And in, in Angier's diary, he is describing Angier going back and trying to find the secret to Borden's kind of greatest trick. Right. But while he's doing this, he is himself reading Borden's diary. Exactly. And so we're also seeing... So I guess it's three. So we've got Borden in prison angier in america by and large and then angier in america is reading borden's diary which is showing us kind of borden and angier and then eventually just borden kind of after they start going their separate ways yeah so three
2: that makes so much sense as like a kind of precursor to inception it's like a diary within a diary within a diary
3: (laughs) i think this is and i think to go back to what Uh, we were saying earlier Justin is one of the things that makes it so easy for me to forget that this is based on a novel as source material because I think that seeing this movie in the context of like a post inception world is really interesting because there are so many things in this movie that feel like the seeds or very early versions of ideas that really come into their own in inception and I think that there is a huge amount of that and like to the point where I Now all I really want to do is go and watch Inception again to see all the ways that it feels like the Dark Knight to this Batman Begins. I would even go so far as to say that Interstellar might be the Dark Knight Rises to that, where it's just like all those things, and then like it's still really good, but maybe one step too far. I don't know. I think just the sheer like amount of stuff that, exactly like what you were saying, Cleo, this feels like ideologically very much a an early version of Inception
0: really hard to talk about this movie without talking about spoilers i was gonna say yeah yeah,
3: this is this is horrible i i don't know how to say things without saying like and then at this part where you find like this ridiculous thing happens or this thing that happens at the end of inception or this thing that happens at the end of this movie and the way that it's like the thing that happens at the end of inception um potential spoilers for inception
0: later (laughs) (laughs) by potential we mean definite
1: I mean, just to just to pick apart some classic things you could say about movies, there was some nice cinematography in this movie. Yeah. Um. There were some really, really, like, just pretty scenes. Very very sweeping, very grand, obviously. It's literally called The Prestige. It is about, you know, the art of performance, so.
2: Yeah. The pacing is excellent. It's like, there's never, like, a dull moment. I mean, now that's, like, a cliche thing to say, but, like, it really there. keeps you interested. Like, I never was like, okay, this is it getting long. Like, can we just conclude this?
3: Yeah, and I think I, I, even then, like, even beyond just, like, you know, the shots and the, the cinematography, but just the way that some of the shots are staged, it it's really, really gorgeous. I mean, there's that one at the beginning, which is, like, the ver- like the top hats just kind of, like, strewn through the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's one later involving a series of light bulbs. There's, I mean, just any time, almost really any time with electricity. Mm-hmm. And you know, even some of the magic acts where you know that it's done with, like, movie magic – But even so, just the way that it's set up where you just have the stage and it's just there in the shot. And there's a lot of stuff that makes me wonder. It's like, well, we know that Christopher Nolan really has this penchant for practical effects. And God, the man flipped an actual semi-truck and built a giant rotating hallway.
0: Ah, that rotating hallway. Yeah, right? I love it so much.
3: It's the kind of thing that makes me wonder if in all the parts where they show like the behind the scenes for how the magic gets done – I wonder if that's actually how we did the effects. He's like, "No, I want it to look like what it would look like if a man was raised very quickly on an elevator like well behind this door, so we're going to build this cuz we need the below part of the set anyway to film the parts below it. So that's what we're going to do for the shots above." I, does anyone I mean we look walked
1: I didn't. I feel like I should have now, but like, I like yeah, we got hindsight. such technical overviews of all of the the tricks that we saw that it seems weird that Having thought through the technicality of them, they wouldn't just then be able to execute them. To just do it, yeah. I mean, what's what's stopping them? I don't know what Hugh Jackman and um, Christian Bale, uh, Christian Bale's like expertise is as magicians. But
3: I think if there's any director that would
1: force them to learn close-up yeah. magic, yeah,
3: that would say it's like, well, guess what? You're gonna learn. <laughs> it would be Christopher Nolan. But yeah, yeah, I well now, yeah, I feel I'm with you. In hindsight, I feel like I should have... we should have looked this up. But I. I think that that really is one of the cool things about it. It, it really is gorgeous when it's like that. I completely yeah. agree.
1: There is a couple moments, especially one in particular, where um, uh, Hugh Jackman like raises his arms and the curtain raises behind him, and it's a long shot. And I just, it was just beautiful. Isn't it gorgeous shot? Holy crap! Yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah, we should we should probably just cut right over to spoilers.
3: Yeah, I would say if if you haven't picked up by now, this is a very like twist heavy movie. Uh, so it really is hard to talk about anything that happens after the first, like, to minutes without <laughs> feeling like you're spoiling like this really great moment. So, yeah, so I think that this is going to be our spoiler line. I think much earlier than, than usual, but that's the way we're going to have to do it. Uh, definitely come back for our next episode in which we're going to be continuing our escape theme by talking about 999, and then after this series is done, we're going to be following it up with a series about solitude where we are going to be reading the wind-up bird chronicle we are going to be watching lost in translation and we're going to be playing gone home uh which i think all should be really super cool and that will all be starting after our topic episode for escape but for now this will be our spoiler break for christopher nolan's the prestige (laughs)
0: Back to the read watch play summary beginning with this series we're going to include a summary of the piece of media we're discussing in order to give context for the rest of the episode the summary will include plot points through the end of this film but in order to avoid spoiling too much will only include things discussed in the episode in early 1900s london robert angier a well-renowned magician performs his trick the real transported man in front of a sold-out theater a man wearing a disguise, who we later discover is Alfred Borden, slips backstage and downstairs as the trick is finishing. Angier drops through a trapdoor in the stage and into a full water tank, which promptly locks, and Borden looks on helplessly as Angier drowns. We cut to Borden's trial, where Angier's and Borden's former mentor, John Cutter, testifies that he believes Borden is the one who placed the water tank under the trapdoor so that Angier would drown. Later, in prison, Borden is visited by a man claiming to work for Lord Caldlow, who is offering to care for Borden's daughter in exchange for learning the secrets to all of Borden's tricks, including the original transported man. In order to sweeten this deal, he also gives Borden a copy of Angier's journal, which Borden immediately begins reading. We flash back to a time when Angier and Borden were part of the same magic act. They worked as plants for Milton the Magician, alongside Cutter and Julia, Angier's wife and Milton's assistant. Milton's most famous trick is the water tank trick. Curiously, he does none of the actual work. In which Julia has her hands tied and is dropped into a tank of water that is then locked. In less than a minute, she's freed herself from the tank to the amazement of the audience. During one such performance, against the wishes of Angier and Cutter, but with Julia's consent, Borden ties her hands in a more secure but more difficult knot. Julia can't slip it, and she drowns before Cutter is able to break her out of the tank. This instills in Angier a deep-seated grudge against Borden, who never admits whether or not he tied the more difficult knot that night. Borden goes on to launch a solo career and hires Fallon, a mysterious, often silent man, as his engineer. At the same time, Borden meets and eventually marries a woman named Sarah, who soon becomes pregnant. At one of his first shows, Borden's key trick, a bullet catch, is sabotaged by Angier, shooting off two of Borden's fingers. Angier then launches his own career, hiring a woman named Olivia, as his assistant, and Cutter as his engineer. But during the finale of his first show, Borden sabotages Angier's birdcage trick, mangling an audience member's hands and ruining Angier's reputation. Borden's career, meanwhile, has flourished as he started a new act with this trick, the transported man, where he disappears into a cupboard and jumps immediately out of another on the opposite end of the stage. Angier decides to steal this trick, and he and his team hire a double to make it work. Angier quickly becomes frustrated with this, as he spends the finale of his show under the stage, while Root, his double, takes the bow. Insisting that Borden does not use a double, Angier sends Olivia to spy on him, and she seems to betray Angier, completely revamping Borden's act. Borden again sabotages Angier's show, this time leaving him with a permanent limp. Angier confronts Olivia, who confesses she's fallen in love with Borden, but gives him Borden's diary anyway. Angier and Cutter kidnap Fallon and bury him alive in order to force Borden to give them the cipher to decode the diary. The cipher is revealed to be Tesla, which Borden also claims is the secret to his act. As Angier travels to America to find Tesla and work through the diary, Borden begins an affair with Olivia. Sarah, driven to the edge by Borden's erratic and contradictory behavior, is consumed by her depression and commits suicide. Angier finds Tesla and pleads with him to build the machine he built for Borden. After Tesla agrees, Angier uses his time waiting to finish decoding Borden's diary and discovers that at least some of it is fabricated. Borden writes that Tesla had nothing to do with his trick and that Olivia delivered the diary under his orders. Angier confronts Tesla, who admits that he didn't build a teleporter for Borden, but that he had successfully created a replicating machine, which reproduces anything placed inside it a short distance away. Tesla gives him the machine as agreed, but asks him to destroy it as he leaves the town. Back in London, Angier returns to the stage and reveals the real transported man, where he vanishes in the swarm of arc lightning created by the machine and reappears on the top balcony at the back of the theater. Borden needs to know how he does it, which leads to the events we see at the beginning of the film. In the present, Borden agrees to give his tricks to Lord Caldlow, and when he arrives to collect them, Borden recognizes him as Angier. Realizing that Angier is still alive, Borden begs for his life, but Angier ignores him. After Borden's hanging, Cutter learns that all of Angier's equipment has been bought by Lord Caldlow, and visits the mysterious man to ask him to destroy it. When Cutter recognizes Kaldlo as Angier, he explains that the plan was to frame Borden for his murder in order to get revenge for Julia. Angier agrees to destroy the machine with Cutter's help and invites him to a private theater where they'll do it. As they work together, Cutter discovers the dozens of Angier clones that Angier killed to make the trick possible. As Cutter leaves the theater, he invites another man in. The man travels downstairs and shoots Angier, then reveals himself as Borden. He explains that Alfred Borden is really a role played by two men, Albert and Frederick, who were twin brothers. When one was Alfred, the other was Fallon. As Angier dies and the theater burns to the ground, Albert leaves to meet Cutter, who was watching Alfred's daughter, and the film ends. Since this is a new addition to the podcast, we would love to hear your thoughts. If you have any feedback, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at rwppodcast or at facebook.com slash rwppodcast. And now, we return to our discussion of Christopher Nolan's The Pristine.
3: So, I mean, just right off the bat, when you see... It, the film opens with Michael Caine and the bird... And just explaining the idea of you have the pledge, you have the turn, you have the prestige. Right. And he explains what the entire movie is going to be. And he shows you the trick that the entire movie is built around. Where you have someone in some kind of a cage who then dies beneath the stage. And you bring out another copy of them to pretend that you didn't just kill a thing. What a great way to start. I mean, it... I know that that's the idea and just, but the way that the whole film just feels like it's built like a magic trick, right? Mm. Where it's, it is this sleight of hand. It is this thing where you go in and you want to be fooled and you see that and you don't know yet how Michael Caine performs the trick, but you have this thing and then you see someone else performing the trick later and you see Christian pale cleaning out the cages with dead crushed birds. I mean, just it, how cool is that that you start the entire movie by giving away – which what I don't even think is necessarily the big twist because I think that it's the – of the two big ones at the end, I think it is the, the smaller one. For sure. Um,
0: which, like, I mean, I'm just going to be forward with that. Like, how crazy is it that the twist of learning that somebody is – clone teleporting themselves and killing their original self is the smaller of two twists.
3: Well, maybe <laughs> maybe not the original. Right? Because it's it's unclear whether you can actually excuse me, distinguish between the two. Fair. But yes, killing one of the two, who you know has the full memories of everything before that just like the clone. Yeah. But yeah, and that that and and that that somehow seems minor in comparison to he has a twin brother yeah and but also at the same time and i think one of the most wonderful strokes of genius in this movie is that they found a way to make secret twin brother not just like dumb yeah right <clears throat> like cause I, you put that on paper and if i were just like oh yeah you don't know how he does it but then it turns out he has a secret twin brother that you didn't know about for the entire movie and it's like in any other thing, that would be just, like, the hokiest, dumbest, most, like, soapy twist that you could have.
0: Yep.
2: Because it violates the rules of fair play that are, like – there's, like, a whole thing about, like, with murder mysteries, a thing called, like, the rules of fair play, where it's, like, the reader or, like, the audience or whatever should be able to figure out on their own, potentially, given what clues they're, they have, what's going on or, like, who's the culprit or, like, what's the secret – and this is, like, this is so borderline. It's, like, because twin brother, or, or some kind of, like, doppelganger is, like, out. It's, like, that's, that's against the rules. Like, that's, like, such a, like, no, that's, like, cheating kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But here it's, like, they give enough, like, subtle little hints that it, that's, that could be the case that I almost totally feel like. It justified. Yeah, I just feel like it doesn't violate. I mean, if it does violate, like, the rules of fair play, then it does it in a graceful way that I think I can totally get away with.
3: Arguably in the way that magic works in general.
1: Yeah. Also, Michael Caine tells us multiple times that this is what is going on yeah and
3: he's got a double
1: we're following angier and that's why i guess the audience remains unconvinced because angier remains unconvinced he thinks right. it has to be more complicated than that yeah. also
2: you're not used to the solution being something that someone's actually said like several times
0: yeah like you've in see the middle of the movie right if, yeah if something is based around the idea that this is a thing that needs to be solved and someone's like it's a double and then you're like well there's still two hours left in this movie, <laughs> so, so clearly it's not a double Michael Caine. Yeah.
3: Thanks, but no thanks. I just – that Michael Caine explains every single trick in the movie to you, right? Like, is there anything where he doesn't go in and, like, explain how all of the secrets of the movie work in some wonderful, indirect way that you don't realize until later was, like, someone telling you the twist an hour and a half before you saw it? Just what, like, a well-thought-through instruction because I completely agree. Like, it – It feels totally fine because you go through and you see it and you're like, well, we didn't know he had a twin brother, but we have the whole thing with like the the Chinese magician at the beginning Mm -hmm. whose trick is that he lives his entire life pretending to be someone that he's not so that you are surprised when he can do something that he should not be able to do because of that fake pretense that he's established Mm
0: -hmm.
3: and that Borden sees it right away and that shortly after that he comes in with this other guy and it's just like, oh, well. Who's this other guy? Oh, who knows? He's gonna be living with us. He's gonna help me help me with my tricks. Mm-hmm. And that's when they have the idea for this great trick that's gonna blow everybody away.
1: My uh, question is how long have those two been planning that trick? Like, how long have those two been establishing themselves as a singular entity?
2: God it feels like it's a really long time.
0: Yeah. My it guess? feels like most of like I the mo like the moment after he sees the um, the other magician, the other magician, yeah, that was like I that's guess as even well. before he starts seeing Sarah, right? Yes, and because the whole thing is that like really early on is when she she has the like you know you say you love me and half the time I believe it and half the time I don't line or half the time you mean it and half the time you don't, right? Yeah, just different, but so it's like it, yeah, it had to have happened. I mean regardless of how it have happened like before he showed up, you know, at their apartment.
2: Well, I think it's definitely – I mean because Michael Caine doesn't know for sure and he's been working with Michael Caine for – it it seems like a long time at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's definitely been years in the making prior probably. And also to get that kind of – to get that down, it's hard to pretend like you're the same person. Like that oh, takes sure. a lot of finesse. So I almost want to say like since they were kids probably.
3: Could be. I mean, it, not to explicitly spoil anything else, but I mean, it's it's such a wonderful parallel to something else that we've discussed at some point on the podcast before, and it's in one of those weird ways where the surprise twin is actually a I don't know it feels really if you would ask me a year ago when I would have I'd forgotten that twist say, whether I could imagine something where surprise there's a twin feels like a, a good rewarding twist I would be like no probably not but. I don't know. I I gotta say I think that's I think that's pretty cool. All
1: right, so we were talking a lot about how the surprise twins is the greater twist, but the the twist it is ostensibly eclipsing is that you know, Hugh Jackman is creating doubles of himself and murdering them. And and there's this really great like lead up and suspense To it like we all like as you're watching you kind of you understand what's happening what has to be happening but it's not explicitly stated for for a while and until finally you're at the end and you just see these rows and rows of tanks of water with dead angiers in them yeah which is so
0: impractical
1: yes right i was like how expensive do you think it would be to have
2: a hundred giant tanks of water made and also all his stagehands are blind like that's just an accident waiting to happen
0: <laughs> but i was like i was sitting there i was like well he could just use one and Krim was like but he doesn't <laughs> and like we got to the end scene and i was like fuck <laughs> he spent a lot of money
1: and then he's just, what, he's just
0: he's putting them, them there? in the, the
1: basement
2: of a broken down theater
1: are they just along gonna, with the replicating machine? Are they like... just going to
2: rot there in, like, water forever? Yes. Because now, Andrew, like, when the, you know, when Hugh Jackman dies, the, well, the last Hugh Jackman dies, right? Look, a hundred
1: identical dead men. Ninety-nine in <laughs> tanks and one not in a Someone's
2: going to get fucked up when they
0: stumble on that.
2: Yeah, that's like...
0: Can you imagine that murder mystery? you're you're
2: hundred identical you're, men
0: you're investigating <laughs> uh, like you're just you're just stalking around this like broken down theater and you you wander down into the basement and you see like a like a burned up like wood big old burned up wooden box a bunch of tanks with identical men suspended in water and like the burned carcass of of some man
1: I gotcha it's the price of obsession with the Tesla replicator machine under the theater. <laughs>
0: prestige clue everybody
2: <laughs> also the fact that this movie can get away with like because it doesn't it doesn't see the, and the magic tricks at the beginning are definitely like okay here is the technical side of it this is how it works with we'll break it down it's like there's no actual real magic and then you introduce tesla and he makes this fucking cloning machine yeah there's no
0: there's such thing as real magic and t- magic and then tesla's like <laughs> the Jareth from labyrinth comes and's
2: like let me make a million top hats for you.
0: Well, I think that's the real question. Is is it Tesla that's
3: magic or is it David Bowie?
2: Mm. <laughs> Everything David Bowie touched.
3: <laughs> I mean, cuz at the beginning when Tesla appears and just like materializes out of the lightning, I mean, I I don't think they ever really address whether this is actually Nikola Tesla or just David Bowie the transdimensional being like appearing in this time period. It's a good
0: it's a very good point. I Worst point, masquerading as Tesla.
3: Have you ever seen David Bowie and Nikola Tesla at the same time in the same place?
0: <laughs> yeah, in The Prestige.
3: Well, no. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, that's... Exactly.
2: <laughs> but yeah, this movie gets away with a lot that it wouldn't be able to if it were slightly different. Like, if it were slightly... If it were, like, a little bit worse than it is. Yeah. Like, if the writing was not as fine-tuned, if the characters weren't quite as believable... Then I'd be like, oh, my God, there's so many fucking cheap gimmicks in this.
3: Yeah, but I think that's the great thing is it's all so grounded in what feels like a really, I don't know, like a very, like, understandable kind of rivalry.
1: In another book I read uh, about pickpocketing, actually, there was a line that was like, um, you know, how do the oldest tricks in the book get to be the oldest tricks in the book because they work? you know and that's that's really what this this movie is
2: (laughs) i'm imagining you reading like an instructional manual on pickpocketing it was a fantasy
1: book that involved a pick like a pickpocket (laughs) and also talking horses like it wasn't whatever
0: it's like i was about to move to new york i figured it was a useful skill to pick up but the existential and philosophical implications
1: right existential horror that's where we
2: were yeah yeah because i mean there's a uh, okay we're not spoiling things from other things that we haven't talked about but, yeah, there's a thing that we talked about earlier in the podcast that has a very similar thing. But there's also a, cur- a recent horror game whose name I will not mention that has a very similar con- twist thing, concept thing about, um like, doubles and which one is the real one. Where is the consciousness really gone? Like, if you have... If you duplicate something, is... Is there a soul that's like, you know, do they both have a soul now? Is one of them the real one and one of them is not the real one? Is it like a coin flip where like, oh, the real consciousness ends up in one or the other randomly? But it's like, of course not. It's like, it's making a double. The double is appearing over there. The original is in the same place that it started off
0: in. I mean, that's how I read it. That's also how I read it. But it it, it doesn't necessarily need to be that way.
3: I think the big thing for me that makes it so interesting is that the first time we see Angier use the machine, he leaves the pistol just on the outside. Mm -hmm. And so it goes and it makes a copy of him just on the other side of the room. And they both stand there and the copy is just like, no, no, wait, it's... And Angier immediately takes the pistol and shoots the other Angier. But... Every night on stage, the Angier in the machine is the one who dies. So we can never even say that consistently, say, the one in the machine was always the original or not. It's it's at the point where you almost have to wonder like what it is to be the original there, because it seems like both of them...
2: Well, both of them are going to believe that they are the original because they're all going to have the same memories. Right, they
3: have the same memories. It In any sort of like sense of a soul that you might attribute to this, it seems like they both are just as much a person as the other because otherwise it's going to have been diluted at some point it doesn't seem to have been
1: you guys want to know something really funny that i just thought of oh god if Angier just kept that copy he could have done the same goddamn trick and just
3: not killed himself not killed
1: himself a hundred (laughs) times you're
2: like let's work together
3: well except for the fact that the trick is actually to get borden to
0: come and be convicted of his murder though right like isn't it? Like isn't that the yeah, thing? Yeah. The the end, The actual end game of the trick is to yeah is to kill himself every night and board. frame
3: Borton. At least that was my reading. At least yeah. yeah. That's the yeah. whole reason he did it. I know, but, but like... yes, it would have been the best body. It was like, oh yeah, you were born with a qu- like a twin. Fuck that! I'll use science to make one.
2: <laughs> an army of them. was like go after Christian. <laughs> yeah, you just could have had twins. an army of clones,
1: equally as bitter, equally as obsessive, equally as petty. <laughs>
3: Which I guess they must have been to every night stand up on that stage and walk into the machine and not really know whether their consciousness was going to end up on the balcony or in the tank.
2: That's what makes that last speech, like that Hugh Jackman, or I don't know if it was the last speech, but he talks about like, oh, you think that I haven't like made sacrifices? Like you have no idea what. And I think that's the thing that's like that's the precursor to like the the uh, reveal of like, oh, there's like a hundred of me that are dead downstairs. Um but it's, like, it's interesting that he talks about, like, oh, the sacrifices I've made. And it's, like, well, for all we know, this is, like, the 80th copy talking about the sac- – And he's, like, the one person to survive. And so he's, like, the one who hasn't made any sacrifices. I mean, he, like – because he's talking about sacrificing his own life. I don't – so, it gets so convoluted and weird when you talk about it too much. Yeah.
1: I mean, but he ha- he does live with the knowledge of 100 times going up and going to his death. He has that certain yeah. knowledge that he is walking to his death. 100 times over
2: yep yeah god yeah just that yeah the whole question of like are you if you're a copy are you responsible for what your past copies have done
3: but even then that that next night he has to go up and do it again
2: yeah and he willingly does it i mean like there's i I don't know know. every
0: single copy is obsessed with petty revenge against borden yeah. So I, every single one is like, yeah, I'm going to walk on that stage and I'm going to kill myself. My double's going to do it tomorrow, and my, my next double's going to do it the next day, and his double's going to do it the next day until Borden finds us.
3: And I think that's the thing, though, is that's the question where you say, are they a double? Like, is there is there any real meaningful difference between the two? Like, it is one like a copy of the other, or are they both? Do they both have equal claim to being
0: the real Angier? I mean, ultimately, I think they like you would never be able to say anything, but they have equal claim. If they're exactly the same down to a cellular level with all the same memories and everything.
2: I think it's important. Unless you
0: can somehow like carbon date the double and it's like, yeah, you only (laughs) existed for a day, 20 minutes. So, uh,
2: no, I think it's important that we never get to see whenever there's two of them at the same time. We never get to see them interact for that long. We never get to see what the other one is about to die. Like really has to say. So we're allowed to think like, Oh, maybe they're different. They're not the right one. Like the one that we, the one that we keep, is the main one. But it's only because we don't see any kind of extended interaction with this other one. It's like we don't have a ta- chance to get attached, really, to like two at the same time.
0: Yeah, I posed this question to cran last night. If teleporting was invented for real, but according to at least the current theory, that for it to happen a person being teleported would need to be broken down to their individual you know atomic structure and then and then sent in whatever fashion via i believe some kind of mechanism for quantum entanglement would just appear elsewhere and be restitched back together so the idea that you die and reform somewhere else like would you just never use it I don't know. I mean, it's a really scary thing, right? Like, it's it's that whole idea of, like, would
3: you cease to be, but then there would be a, a copy of you with all of your memories on the other end? Exactly. And if, yeah,
0: and if you have done that, like, in the past? If, yeah, if you've done it once, does it ever matter again? Probably not.
3: Well, and even then, if you, well, yes and no, right? Because then every time you walk into it, that might be, like, the last thing you ever do.
2: Yeah, you, I mean, your memories will stop at that point. Another yeah. one will exist, and you you won't know what that one's doing. Right.
3: I mean, like, what if every night when you went to bed, you died? Effectively. Oh, and then God, the I next day, another, like, copy of you with all of your memories is wakes the thing up. that wakes up. But you, the consciousness <sighs> oh, that I'm talking to right okay,
2: now. But, this but, is yeah, a Philip K. Dick, like, horror shit. That's, hey, well,
1: remember what I said? The prestige as a successful existential horror movie? Yeah, we're is what I'm talking about We're right
0: there. Oh, my God. It just happened.
2: I just had a nervous breakdown. <sighs> Fuck you, James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the kind of shit, but like, I don't know if you guys ever had this when you're a kid where you start, you've, like, you're like, maybe, I don't know, like, this happens around like age seven, I want to say, at least it did for me, maybe age six, where you start having, having these existential questions, like... How do I know the people around me are really the people they say they are? Like, they're really – like, they have not all – for me, it was weird. I was like, Have what if they were all replaced by identical robots? How would I know that they were who they say they were, really? And, like, if they think that they're, like, who they are, then are they really who they think they are? Or are they, you know, like – the question of identity, I don't know. I was a weird child, maybe, thinking about shit <laughs> like that. But I think as a kid, though, that shit does come up, and it's terrifying when you first kind of, these questions first present themselves to you.
3: And then you learn how to, you know, put that in a box and bury it deep down <laughs> inside yourself and, and never you think about not it. Ask those yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then... Like a goddamn adult.
1: <laughs> watch uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and... Yeah. Other things and gleefully indulge in that deep-rooted fear of yours yep
3: but yeah no it go on like yeah i think you're you're absolutely right that it taps into all those like weird just bizarre thoughts that i think you make a great point of especially as a kid you're just like sitting around because you got nothing better to do you're a fucking kid <laughs> and you're just like what if nothing is real
2: <laughs> what if this is the matrix yeah yeah Basically, I mean, like, there's so many different places that are horrifying. I thought, I mean, okay, so mixed feelings about Christian Bale as a human being, probably.
0: But I thought as he was playing
2: the role of human being. Right? The... <laughs> yeah. But he, he, he's not really
0: playing the role of human being, I guess. He's like
2: one of my favorite actors, contemporary actors, right now. I mean, obviously, that was redundant. But, um,. And I thought, this is probably my favorite role that he's been in. I mean, I guess even with Batman, there was this thing that came out recently where he was saying that he wasn't, like, he wasn't satisfied with his performance in Batman. Mm -hmm. Talking about other Christopher Nolan things. But, um, I thought, I don't know. I mean, it takes, it's not easy to pull off playing two people who need to be distinct enough that you believe that there are two people... But there are two people who are playing the same person. It's like with something that convoluted, it takes like a level of skill that's kind of like hard to come by. I think he did a really good job. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm, I'm like I, don't, I think Daniel Day Lewis is probably the only other person who could have pulled that off because Tatiana he would have literally Lonnie. cloned himself. Oh my god, Tatiana, before, Tatiana
2: was so fucking good at it. I don't <laughs> she, think anyone
0: will compare it to her. But well, yeah, I mean there could have been like quintuplets. Yeah, and it, and she would I have mean, pulled there it off. Could
1: have been eight of them. She <laughs> she. She has demonstrably pulled that off.
0: Yeah.
3: So one thing that I was really curious about is throughout the movie, we've got these two magicians who are really doing a lot of kind of reciprocal harm to one another. Before we started recording, Justin, you made the point where it just like, it's like, like, yeah, it's weird. Cause they just keep doing the same things to each other. But so, you know, we have each of them goes and like physically maims the other and, you know, also arguably goes and kind of ultimately causes potentially causes the death of the others the person most significant to the other i would say i mean obviously most directly towards the beginning when borden makes the choice it seems to use a i don't remember the it's like the the something double a a, a, a knot that is Firmer, but more difficult to slip out of um, during the the magic sequence at the beginning, where uh, Enjir's wife dies in the the tank escape,
1: played by Piper Perabo. Yes, Perabla.
3: Second movie in a row with her in it that we've done. Yeah, not not consciously, but <laughs> <laughs> turns out we're big fans. Um, Surprise. Yeah, but anyway, so. Towards the beginning – and it's really what sets off the whole thing is that this this ambition in Borden to use this hard knot and make the whole thing you know, more technically difficult, more impressive leads to this woman's death, which really is a big part of what sets Angier off yeah. in so many ways and is like the – really that sort of spark to – the, the rivalry that defines the rest of the film and that Angier responds by going and ruining Borden's bullet catch right. and just crippling him and ruining his hand. But then that later Borden indirectly leads to the or is, no, directly leads to the injury that breaks Angier's leg. Correct?
0: Yeah. Because he convinces Andrew's double that he has power over him.
3: Exactly. And it's just the way that they go and they do these things and try and sabotage each other by attacking them physically, attacking them professionally, and attacking them personally. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big moments in that is when—and I think this will lead into another thing that we wanted to discuss a bit—but when Borden's wife, Sarah, kills herself because of just the way that their relationship is going that we can look back in hindsight and say is not trivially due to the fact that Borden is, again, in fact, two different people— one of whom is actually in love with her and the other is not. Yeah. So obviously going to be difficult there. But it certainly seems like it was something that, you know, maybe not everyone was happy with, but was going along okay until Angier sends his assistant Olivia to try and sabotage Borden. And one of the big things that I was trying to figure out is, do you think that this is so directly tied to Sarah's eventual suicide that this ends up feeling like the almost like the reciprocal act where that though it was unintentional this act of trying to become more impressive professionally ultimately leads to the kind of indirect death of the other's spouse like do you think that that those things end up being reciprocal or do you think that that's far enough removed that it's not necessarily ultimately on Angier's head that their relationship falls apart and Sarah decides to kill herself.
0: I mean, I think the presence of Olivia is a factor in Sarah's like behavior and ultimate decision. But I just feel like a a woman being put in the position that she was put in and being made to feel the way she felt, even if Olivia had not been in that equation, the end result may have been the same.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I don't think that we can, maybe it's sped it up, but, I mean, she was- that's that's gaslighting. That's emotional abuse. That's mental abuse. You know, that's- people have been driven to extremes under similar situations. So, I mean, I, I don't- I think we could probably safely say that Angier sped it up, but I, I don't- I think that blame is, is pretty solely on the shoulders of Borden and Co.,
2: Yeah, I'd say um, strictly both of them also because one of them is the one who is being more emotionally abusive towards her because he's, like, I'm not – he's not the one who's in love with her. But the other one is complicit in it. Like, he's allowing this to happen even though he is the one who's in love with her. He's not – you know. There's a lot of cases that there's only one woman out of the three, like, major female characters in this who gets away at the – like, saves herself, and that's Scarlett Johansson because she decides to walk away. But the two other spouses, Sarah and then – what's Piper –
3: character
2: yeah something like something that. like that i i don't know that for certain though but
1: well that's what you wrote down in the notes
2: <laughs> so it must be true I nailed it past james <laughs> and yeah it's like and they both die as a result of their like husband's or yeah ambition and like they're wanting to kind of boost up their careers
1: i think borden's responsible for both of them actually yeah
0: wow
2: what, what assholes?
0: Assholes. although so i was thinking two things about borden one is a is like a minor twist that I would have liked, but I don't think jives with the the whole like layout of the plot, which is the whole like uh misdirect with Tesla wasn't actually a misdirect, and Tesla had in fact built a similar machine and they didn't think it worked, and then Borden discovered his double. Mm. Right. It doesn't work because Fallon was present before Borden would have gone to America. Yeah, we, we know uh, for sure. So, like, there's that, no yeah. way that happened, but man, that would have been cool. That would have been cool. Uh, the other the other thing is that um, I think we know that him and, and Fallon – or we have reason to believe that him and Fallon were, were switching off much, much earlier if not from the beginning of the movie or from prior because after Cleo said something I was thinking about it and there's the journal entry – about, like, not knowing what knot was tied. And the idea that, like, neither of them can remember which of them went out that night to be the real Borden on that stage, and so neither of them can be sure which one tied which knot, because both of them, like, whichever one actually went out there blocked it out, and the other one that went out there, the other one that didn't go out there, it's just, like, it it just becomes this convoluted mess. And so, like, the idea of being, like, a complete split between which knot was tied— makes sense in that respect
2: but was that true or was that borden's attempt at misdirection right i mean there's no way of knowing
0: yeah Yeah. because most of the journal was true but it was also you know just a thing that he was using against angier also yeah yeah it's
3: it was yes it was a by and large accountings of true events however it was written not as an actual like what did i do today diary but as a very elaborate piece of misdirection so yeah that's a really neat idea cuz I hadn't thought about it happening starting until the until they went to see that other magician. Yeah. Do the
0: the goldfish ball trick. But that that could actually be the reason that Borden was so assured that that was what the other magician was doing is cuz he was already doing it. Yeah, it wasn't that it gave it wasn't that he saw
3: it and it gave him the idea to do it himself. It was that he'd been doing it the whole time so he saw it right away. Yeah. Interesting. That's
1: yeah, always the read that I've gotten from it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I always read it as he's just a talented magician and he figured it out and thought, "Oh shit, I have a twin brother. I could do that."
0: And it's like, "It how could I spin that for myself?" But yeah. But I mean that read does make sense because if you want to read it as it the the act of the switch hasn't started until Fallon shows up. Mm-hmm. Um then he doesn't show up until after they've gone to see that magician.
3: But at the same time, it I, I don't think there's anything to discredit the other read, though. I think that it's – and I think that's doubly interesting because I think it does add a lot of that question to the not situation mm-hmm. where it might genuinely have ended with he doesn't know. Because then you've only got one instance of them talking to each other and he's be like, I don't know. Or I guess two, one at the, the morgue and one at the bullet catch. But in situations where he genuinely just could have been talking to the other one, he's just like, I don't know. Right. It wasn't me on stage. I hadn't even thought about it that way. I always just thought of it as him just, like, denying it or not wanting to own up to the fact that he... Tied the wrong knot. Yeah, that he tied the wrong knot, yeah.
2: Because you see that little, you know, the little knot exchange, right? Where she, he, like, looks at her and she nods as if you know, to say, like, yeah, tie that knot.
3: And he changes the knot that yeah. he's doing. Like, it seems pretty clear that he yeah. he does so knot just... A and then not B, and I don't know enough about knots to know what one he goes to.
2: <laughs> now we must learn about knots in order to... Properly analyze this movie.
0: All right, we're just gonna put you guys on hold. We'll play a little music. We'll be back (laughs) in two years once we're not masters. Yeah, the new Broken Age Part Three. (laughs) So pettiness.
1: So pettiness.
0: We talked about this already a little bit, but we haven't really gone, you know, in depth at looking at just how like ridiculously petty these guys get. It's I mean, it's crazy to me. Like I understand rivalry and I understand even becoming obsessed with like you know being better than or beating your rival but these guys devolve into such petty it's like they're so angry like you know one gets so angry that the other got him with this misdirect or this trick or or whatever that he just feels compelled to do the exact same thing to the other one and they they just bounce back and forth like this for the entire fucking movie
1: do you think if if Borden had like been remorseful and apologize that this all could have been headed off from the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. He's part of, pardon, part of Borden's character is that he's kind of insufferable.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which I mean, Christian Bale is very terrible. good at playing. So
1: Andrew more sympathetic, but becomes unsufferable. Whereas Borden, I feel it was insufferable from the beginning.
3: But on top of the pettiness though, I think that it's, I think that my favorite thing about this rivalry that gets built is that pettiness is unquestionably, I would say like a majority part in it, but that it also seems so tied up in this kind of mix of pettiness and vengeance and just this drive to be better at your craft. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And I think that the way that those all come together makes it very human and believable to what Cleo, you were saying earlier. I think that it's really what adds that level of, there's are so many things that could feel like kind of cheap gags or cheap set piece moments just to be big and flashy and twisty and, oh my god, can you believe this crazy thing happened? But it's that it's all grounded in that very believable relationship where, you know, yeah, people are petty and you understand that drive to want to be better at what you're doing and you understand that sense of one-upsmanship and you understand that just like anger and vengeance and that it all goes from one thing to the next to the next to the point where, it seems like everyone's almost just forgotten what started it all. It, which is not to say that I think Angier ever forgot his wife, but I uh, think, yes, he did. Well, he did a bit, yes. But I think it, you get the impression that that's still, to a certain extent, in his mind. But that if you were to ask him why he's so consumed with Borden, I don't think that's what he would say anymore. You know, like I think that's the big thing that it's. He, I don't think he could give you a straight answer to that question. And that it's just grown into this bigger thing, and I think that that ends up being like such a good running through line to the movie. And like I said uh, before, I think that it is exactly what you were getting at, Cleo, where it's like, yeah, it, the rest of the movie wouldn't work if there wasn't something like really human at the core of it. But I think that the other thing that's so sad about it is I don't think the movie ever stops reminding you of what an amazing team that they like really could have been and arguably were on track to be. Yeah, Because you get the impression that Borden couldn't fucking care less about whether he's the one on stage. Which is, I think is made apparent by the fact that he and his brother take turns taking appreciation for stuff. Whereas Engier can't stand to take his bows below the stage. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he is that frontman and Borden is much more technical. Like you could really see Borden growing into more of a role like the role that Michael Caine plays. Where he goes and he comes up with the tricks and he builds the things and he's really the technician behind them. I don't know, I I think that that's such a wonderful through line and the ways that they're so similar in wanting to be the best at what they do and all the ways that they really could complement each other, but they don't because they've just developed this rivalry that's just evolved into just hatred. I think it's like that last thread to that rope that I I think makes me like it so much.
1: Or a nail in a coffin, one might say. Yeah, exactly. Because he literally buries one of them alive. Angier buries one of the twins alive.
3: And what a great moment that is. Yeah. And they just, like, are walking through the cemetery. And it's like, all right, so where is he? And he's just, like, he just kind of looks. And he's like, like, is he okay? And he's like, I don't know. How fast can you dig?
2: Yeah, give, I mean, given both the Borden brothers are shitheads, how fucking awful must that be when this person who you basically share an identity, you share everything with. You share a, a daughter with, basically. Like, she doesn't know the difference between you two one of you dies like how do you live the rest of your life when someone who's like literally your other half is gone like how do you start learning how to be one person again
1: well first you take revenge on the man who got him killed <laughs> and then you set his building on fire
0: and, and then, then you find you a nice you... house and move with your daughter despite the fact that you're a fugitive or not a fugitive that you're a murderer who just died, got executed died earlier that afternoon <laughs> yeah
1: and then that- Michael Caine becomes Alfred and he changes his name <laughs> to Bruce Wayne. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> I just want the short film where uh, the guard from the prison passes by the remaining living Borden on the street. Yeah. Like the one that he taunted all the time. And then before he, they went and executed him, he like, you know, are you watching now? And then for like a week later to pass him on the street and just like, you know, tip his hat or something and just have that guard spiral into insanity. And then it good. becomes Lovecraftian. Yeah. Yep. Do you think he
3: needs to wear, like, the whole, like, get-up when did, he goes out? The get-up, you mean? Yeah. Or do you think it's the kind of thing where he goes out and I mean, he's like, oh is-
0: my god, we executed you. He's like, oh no, you executed my twin brother. Or like, oh no, you executed somebody who looks like me. Like, yeah. Either way, it's like, you know, there's a dozen people in that room who saw a man be executed. Yeah. But they saw a magician get executed, so... There's also the possibility that since he has no twin brother at all, on any kind of record, assuming. Yeah, it seems That be. like if somebody runs into him just not dressed up on the street, they'd be like, you're supposed to be dead. You escaped, didn't you? You found some way out of that trick. You fucking, yeah. you're under arrest. And then they hang him too and then they're all screwed. That's just the end of it. That'd be a fitting end.
3: One thing before we go, it one of the things that I think is so interesting about this, that we talked about a little bit before the spoiler break, but just getting into Inception, one of the things that I think is so interesting about this is that, this movie feels like it's so about revealing the tricks. Like, every twist gets explained. And, like, it leaves you with some, like, existential questions. But as far as, like, what actually happened, you can sit and you can say, like, okay, well, what one is the real NGR, etc.? Is there a real NGR? But everything gets pretty well wrapped up. Like, you understand the, the conclusion to each point. But at the same time, the movie keeps telling you no one cares about the secret. No one's impressed by the secret. People want to be fooled. People want to be left not knowing it. Like, you want to see the prestige, but you don't want to understand, like, the secret behind the trick. And I think that's one of those things that this movie doesn't really do because it's about the the behind-the-scenes stuff. It's about the magicians. It's about showing you how they did it. I think that's one of the things that it feels like Nolan really took to heart for Inception. Like, I think that's why that ending is everything that it is, right? Like, that's the exact opposite. That's... This one, if it stopped before it gave you a satisfactory explanation of how Borden is still alive or whether or not Angier killed himself every night or like how exactly the machine worked or what happened. Mm-hmm. Just I, It's one of those things that I think is so interesting because they both are, seem to be very much about performance and entertainment and making movies or shows, etc., and that, to me, strikes me as just one of the most interesting things that I feel like you see germinating here that comes into its own for Inception. Just that sense that they're, they're both—they explore so many similar ideas, but it seems like the big takeaway is, I don't know, it, the difference between the ending of Borden scooping up his daughter and still being alive and being up in, like, that, like, aviary with Michael Caine versus the top on the table. And I think the reason why the endings to the movies leave such a different impression— I think is all wrapped up in that—that that this movie tells you that no one's impressed by the secret, so don't share it. Keep that to yourself. But then it shares the secret. That strikes me so much as something that Nolan took to heart and remembered for Inception, and said, "This time, I'm not going to share the secret. I'm just going to, I'm going to leave you hanging and then cut to black."
2: I'm really curious about what Christopher Nolan's gonna do, kind of in the future, right? Because like, yeah. there's like the bad scenario where like things just start to get shitty now. Like with Interstellar, if Interstellar was like taking a step too far, then the next movie's gonna take two steps too far, and then the next one's just gonna Prestige like
1: Prestige Two, the <laughs> sequel nobody asked for.
3: Ugh. There's one of the NGR clones left,
1: <laughs> and he's found himself in the future. <laughs>
3: God, that'd be so bad. Played exactly. by Michael Caine, though. <laughs> but. Yeah, so... That
0: sounds like an episode.
3: I think so, too. So, next episode, we're going to be discussing nine persons, nine hours, nine doors. I'm I'm so excited. I'm so <laughs> excited. I love this game.
2: I feel like this is the day that's like... That's the episode that we've been waiting for since day one.
3: <laughs> you know, it's the episode that I never thought we would actually do, but like a little secret part of me hoped. All right. So, until next episode, thank you so much for listening.
1: Wait. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta say before we close out, um, what, what did escape have to do with this movie? <laughs>